You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to take some time and examine what is largely perceived to be the world's greatest short story. Jesus' parable of the prodigal son that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 15. This simple but beautifully dynamic tale of the tragic decisions of a wayward son, the loving heart of a father who graciously received him upon his return, And the pious actions of a bitter older brother is nothing shy of a brilliant stroke of storytelling. Let's dive into the passage. Luke 15, beginning with verse 11. We read, Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. To begin with, Jesus' story opens with the introduction of three central characters. A certain man and his two sons, a younger and an older. What makes this interesting is the fact the title that scholars have traditionally given this parable, the prodigal son, is in a lot of ways misleading. Let's start by looking at the younger son. Though we aren't provided the reason for his request or what circumstances may have led to it, this younger son brazenly approaches his father and asks to be given his inheritance early. While there is no doubt this would have grieved his father and was abnormal, culturally to say the least. The inheritance wasn't normally given to the sons after the father had passed away. So what's happening, it's odd, but it's not entirely Without custom. That said, after receiving his portion of the goods, it didn't take long for this younger son to quickly head out of town, revealing his true underlying intentions. We're told not many days after, the son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. The idea behind this phrase, gathered all together, is that he liquidated his inheritance, the assets and to cash money. Understand, the picture that Jesus is painting to his audience is a young man who's completely, totally, utterly rejected his father. This man has no real interest in his birthright. He has no delight in his family's legacy or heritage. This request to receive the inheritance before his father's passing was just a means to an end. He wanted the freedom to start a life as far away from dear old dad as possible, which is what's implied by the idea of journeying to a far country. Sadly for this young man, it doesn't take long upon arriving to such a country that he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Uh, Once again, it would appear this young man had simply uh, squandered his inheritance And yet what Jesus is describing is is a much more radical dynamic. Upon arriving to this far country, the man adopted what the text refers to 
as a prodigal lifestyle. In the Greek, this verb that we have translated as prodigal, it means to be lax in morals. In a sense, this young man intentionally engaged in the opposite behavior he knew was right. And notice what resulted. Jesus tells us that he wasted his possessions, or literally he scattered his substance. The great tragedy of this story is not that this young man ended up broke because of his behavior. The tragedy is that he ended up broken. His substance, or literally his substance, the very thing he once stood upon, his core foundation, have been slowly scattered and eroded with each and every rebellious decision. Because of his choices, this young man chose to operate in defiance of what he knew was true. He eventually, in the end, found himself a shell of what he once was. This man had lost his way. Verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. But no one gave him anything. What a sad but unexpected turn of events. This young man makes a bunch of decisions. He ends up where he is. It's unexpected, but expected. Do you notice that when he had spent all, that there arose a famine in the land? It's not an accident that the very moment the young man had exhausted his resources and completely lost his way, that a famine resulted. We're told, as a result, the young man began to be in want. His life was now empty, barren, fruitless. Everything that had one point brought him satisfaction, everything that had initially filled his life with purpose, everything that was making him happy had dried up. He's not only lost his way, but this far country has left him parched, thirsty, and wanting. Now things couldn't have gotten any worse. What transpires next leaves Jesus' audience aghast. This man not only proceeded to join himself with a citizen of this faraway country, but was then sent into the fields to feed swine. As an unclean animal, the very thought of feeding swine was insulting to the Jewish sensibility. I mean, this development was beyond degrading. It was offensive. Just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, suddenly they get terribly worse. What Jesus is presenting to his audience was a young man whose stubborn rebellion and rejection of his father had taken him to a place he would have never chosen up front. Rarely does sin do that. Not only was he broken, broke, empty, wanting, but everyone in his life had completely bailed on him. Jesus kind of sums up the situation by saying no one gave him anything. This man is stuck, alone, in the muck. Of his own making. Verse 17. But when he came to himself. He said how many of my father's hired servants. Have bread enough. And to spare. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. 
And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and he came to his father. This phrase, when he came to himself, can be translated literally as when he came to his senses. In the depths of his sin, in the place of total want and brokenness, this young man awoke to a reality that had always existed. He was in this place because of his own choosing. Though he had treated his father as if his father were dead to him and proceeded to squander the life he had been given, he realizes he doesn't have to live in such a state. I mean, after all, his father wasn't dead. And the very home he was so quick to run away from, it still remained. You know, it's interesting, but this young man in such a desperate state, he, he didn't think about all of the strategies he could employ to improve his life in the pig pen. Instead, the mark of real sanity was his understanding he actually had a father and a home he could return to. Notice the evolution in his thinking. First, he honestly compared his current situation, the fact he was perishing with hunger, with the environment he knew existed in his father's home, that even the hired servants had bread enough and bread to spare. Like This man's finally willing to concede that life with his father was far superior to life apart from his father. Secondly, the young man was willing to admit that his present situation existed for one simple reason. text tells us he'd sinned against heaven and before his father. This prodigal wasn't blaming his turn of circumstance or present situation on anyone other than himself. This man acknowledges that he'd played the fool, that his situation was the byproduct of his own rebellion, that what he was facing was a consequence of his own sin. Thirdly, it's noteworthy that this young man didn't possess, at this juncture at least, any sense of entitlement. Like he knew that there would be natural consequences for his actions. He'd rejected life with his father and then made a mess of the life his father had given him. He understood his unworthiness. He realized his true inadequacy. He even acknowledges he's no longer worthy to be called a son. Fourth, it's also evident that his perspective and view of his father has now changed. Here in the first exchange, the man commanded his father to give him his inheritance. Now, after some experiences, we find him willing to come humbly before his father to make him. And it's the difference between give me and make me. The prodigal son has finally come to the point in his life where he's willing to submit to the will and the intentions of his father. Finally, pertaining to the evolution of his thoughts, he rightly understood his will, what he wanted to will, had to manifest into action. Like it's not enough to want to do something, you have to do it. He declares, I will arise, I will go, I will say, and then what does he do? He arose and he came. He didn't just think about it. 
mull it over, contemplate. He acted. You see, his contrition and his ultimate repentance was represented in the fact that he's willing to return and accept whatever position his father was willing to give him. Back to verse 20. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. At this point in Jesus' parable, the story, the scene shifts away from the prodigal son and onto the prodigal's father. Though I'm sure his father had been incredibly disappointed in his son. That his son had asked for his inheritance, only to then immediately reject the life his father wanted to give to start something new for himself in a faraway country. That said, it shouldn't be overlooked that the father didn't fight against his son's wishes. He knew it was wrong. He knew what would happen, but he doesn't fight him. You see, the father loved his son enough to allow his son to reject the father's love. Additionally, as an act of love, this father allowed his son's free will to set him upon a course the father knew was going to end poorly. Based upon the verses we just read, it's not likely, it is likely, that not a day had gone by when his father didn't long desire, pray for his son's return. The fact is, the statement that when the son was still a great way off, the father saw him, indicates that this dad had always been hoping. Not a day had gone by where he wasn't looking, hoping, praying that his boy would come home. Notice the first thing that happens within the heart of this father upon seeing his son's return. Jesus tells us the father was filled with compassion. How amazing. His immediate reaction when he saw his son afar off was not anger or vindication, nor was it pity. It was compassion. His heart was broken when he considered all the terrible things that must have happened to bring his stubborn and rebellious son to the point where he'd humble himself and come home. Once again, to Jesus' audience, what follows was unthinkable. Like the idea that any father in this culture would run and fall on his son's neck to kiss him. Like that picture, that image, it was unfathomable. In a culture, a, a distinguished older man it would never run. Like to do so was undignified. One would have expected the father, even filled with compassion, to remain seated, waiting for the son to come and fall prostrate before him. Now the reason that this detail is so important is that it communicated to the audience the incredible depths of this father's love for his son. While the son may have been on his way home, It was the father, wasn't it, who ran out to meet him. A father's love for his son would not be restricted by tradition or custom. He cared not about dignity. 
His heart was moved and his feet followed. The tense that Jesus uses here, it's emphatic. This father grabs hold of his son. He embraces him. He fell on his neck. He showers him with affection. Then when his son starts into his, you know, probably rehearsed speech, the father all but cuts him off. This dad didn't need to hear anything to know that his son had repented. The simple fact this boy was headed home communicated everything the father needed to know. What's most amazing about this story is that the father did more than accept his prodigal. Jesus says that he then instructs the servants to clothe his son with the best robe, to put a, a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Beyond all that, they were to bring out and slaughter the fatted calf so that all could join in the celebration of this son's return. Now the prodigal rightly understood that he was no longer worthy to be a son. He figured if he could just adopt the position of servant, he would be better off. But the incredible thing is that his worthiness mattered not in the eyes of his father. Though he had rejected his father and run off to start a new life, the moment he returned, not only did his dad accept him and demonstrate love and affection towards him, but he restored him to the position of what? Not servant, but son. Max Lucado adds a great observation. He writes, the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy gave the prodigal a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. Verse 25, now this older son, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you've never given me a, a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. As Jesus is finishing telling this story, the sh scene shifts one final time. You had the prodigal son to the prodigal's father. Now you have the prodigal's older brother. Unlike his younger brother, this son hadn't squandered his inheritance. Not only has he remained with his father, but he's assumed the family business. Note, we see him actually returning from a long day of work in the field when he's greeted with the sound of music and dancing. Outwardly, the older brother was the model son. In fact, from his own lips, we're told that he spent all of his years serving his father and in doing so never once transgressed any of his commandments. And yet, while he had been busy playing the part, the problem is that he didn't share his father's heart. Notice not only was he angry at the grace that had been showed his prodigal brother, but the way he reacts to the pleading of his father 
reveals an, an even deeper animus, doesn't it? Deep animosity. Like his reaction to his dad, it's not a moment of, of rash anger. This feeling towards his father had likely been brewing for some time. Like fundamentally, this older brother, his problem with his dad was the way that his dad treated people. Specifically, rewarded people. Though his father deeply desired his son to join the other in the feast, he asked him to come in. This brother, the prodigal's brother, he stubbornly refuses for two simple reasons. One, he viewed his father's grace as being unjust. Because his younger brother had devoured his livelihood with harlots, the older son is convinced that this young man didn't deserve forgiveness, didn't deserve restoration, yet alone a reception. This was unjust. This wasn't right. But secondly, it's evident. The older brother viewed his father's grace as being unfair. Unjust and unfair. Like in the context of his obedience for all those years, in comparison to the younger brother's rebellion, this older brother couldn't fathom why his father had never given him a reception, never thrown him a party. In fact, he says, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Actor Ricky Gervais sympathizes with the older brother's perspective. He, he writes, I never understood redemption when I was young. Even before I was an atheist, I always thought with the prodigal son, well, why is he getting the special treatment? You know, most can sympathize, can't, can't they? Do you sympathize? You know, it's interesting. But the story arc of this parable, it takes a really fascinating twist at the end. Jesus, again, the master storyteller. One son rejects the father for carnal reasons, only then to return and enjoy the grace of his dad. Then because the obedient older brother perceives his father's grace as being unjust and unfair, he then, at the end, rejects his father again. The younger son rejects for carnal reasons. The older now rejects his father's invitation to the feast. Where? On moral grounds. One for carnal reasons, one on moral grounds. Ironically, Jesus ends the story <laughs> in an unexpected way. The prodigal is restored. The older brother is left alienated. Which leads us to two important observations about this parable. First, the parable of the prodigal son illustrates the fact that your flesh can separate you from the love of your father by employing one of two different strategies. Carnal living or religious moralism. To this point, author, Pastor Timothy Keller writes, Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from Him by either breaking His rules or keeping them all diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. But there is a second lesson. Because the demonstration of the Father's grace 
only required repentance to be received and enjoyed. The parable of the prodigal son illustrates for us that it's often so much harder for moralistic, self-righteous people, the religious, to enter the kingdom of God than those who have engaged in a prodigal, carnal lifestyle. Well, it made sense to the prodigal to repent, to come home. You know, life in the pig pen has a way of changing one's perspective, doesn't it? And while the prodigal had an even greater sense to, to enjoy the feast that was given to him, I mean, he knew he was playing with house money. He was unworthy. He knew it. The truth is that the older brother rejected his father and rejected his father's invitation because he wouldn't accept the terms for entry. Hearing that his father had given his brother something that he had been working hard to attain was more than he could stomach. He was all wrapped up in his brother, how his father treated his brother. You know, the fundamental problem with religion is that it presents heaven as a reward, not a gift. What I mean by that is that it presents religion concerning heaven. It presents it as something that we work hard to attain, to achieve. Not something that God lovingly bestows. And this is why one of the main reasons that grace is such an affront to the moralist. Jesus, through this parable, he's saying that the only prerequisite for salvation to enter the grand party of heaven is that you receive something you could never earn on your own. In fact, something you're not worthy of. For the prodigal son, the failure, the sinner, the down and outer, this parable is wonderful, wonderful news. And yet, sadly, for the prodigal's brother, this reality, that he couldn't earn it, it was a bridge too, too big for him to cross. You know, it's a sobering thought, but true, that some good people will go to hell, and some bad people will end up in heaven. Now, before we go any further, I want to establish the larger context for why and to whom Jesus told this parable of the prodigal son. Like, if you, if you look back at the text here, Luke 15, look back at the first three verses of the 15th chapter. It kind of gives you the context. We're told that then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him, and the scribes and Pharisees complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus spoke the parable to them. Like, for context, it's rather amazing that Jesus' audience for this story, story time with Jesus, his audience was comprised of two vastly different groups of people. On one side, you had a group of prodigals, the tax collectors, the sinners. On the other side, you had this group of self-righteous, religious older brothers, the scribes, the Pharisees. And while it seems obvious how this particular parable applied to each of the two subsets, 
The deeper point Jesus is making might not seem as obvious. Sure, there is an aspect to this story whereby Jesus is directly addressing the criticism that he was receiving. The Pharisees were complaining that Jesus would willingly receive sinners to himself and eat with them. But Jesus is making it clear that his approach to people, there was nothing wrong with it at all. Why? Because it was more in line with the Father's heart than theirs. They were the older brother. And yet, beyond the obvious, I'm personally convinced Jesus' larger purpose for the parable probably went unspoken. Like, keep in mind, the parable of the prodigal son is in actuality the last of three parables Jesus has just told to this diverse crowd. What makes that significant is the first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, establish the reality that when something of value is lost, we have a responsibility to go out and to retrieve it. Interestingly enough, while on the surface the story of the prodigal presents the opposite dynamic, this is a lost son returning to his father, what's left out of the parable may have been Jesus' point. While the older brother, whose attitude illustrated that of the religious leaders, was busy serving and obeying all the commands of his father, hoping that his actions would lead to an increased favor. The truth is that if they really wanted to desire to please dad, if the older brother really wanted to please his father, what would he have done? Instead of serving and obeying and doing all these various things in the home, if he loved his father and understood his father's heart, the older brother would have left the home, would have gone into this far country, and would have sought to retrieve his younger brother. You know, in a much of a similar fashion, the religious leaders of Israel, they had been given a great inheritance. They hadn't squandered it through prodigal living or immoral behaviors. It's true, they had been serving God and they had been obedient to His commands, none of which is a bad thing. And yet, in presenting the incredible joy that the Father experienced when the prodigal returned, Jesus is illustrating for them a reality they had completely missed. Like it's as though Jesus is telling these men, don't you see, don't you understand what brings our Heavenly Father the most joy? It isn't your service around His house. It isn't your dedication or determination to obey all the, the, the little rules, the commands. Instead, if you really desire to bring your Heavenly Father the greatest pleasure, like me, Jesus is saying, you'd leave your home and go into the fallen world to retrieve your lost prodigal brothers and sisters. And why is this so important? As the prodigal's experience so starkly illustrates for us, the greatest lie ever told man is that life is better apart from your father, your heavenly father. This young man truly believed he was going to be better. He was going to discover a more satisfying life in a world apart from the influence of dad. And yet, it doesn't take long for him to realize he had been sold a lie. It was a ruse. Instead of happiness, the prodigal was filled with regret. 
Instead of meaning, his life was void of purpose. Instead of fulfillment, he was left wanting. In place of community, he experienced loneliness. The prodigal went out seeking greener pastures, only to be left with famine. In the end, the world turned this man over, chewed him up, spit him out, worse than he was before. Yes, it's absolutely true sin. It's an act of rebellion against the Creator. But the greatest damage that sin yields is in the Creator's design. Friend, prodigal living, it destroys you. What's so amazing about this parable is that while the prodigal unex- unexplainably came to his senses, <laughs> making the decision to come home and return to, to his father, this is not exactly an experience we all share. Instead of the father sitting at home waiting for you and I to finally wake up and come to him, what's the truth of the gospel? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to find you. The firstborn son, the older brother, was intentionally sent into a faraway country on a mission to find you, to save you. In a sense, this is the contrast. The similarity are you and the prodigal. The contrast is the older brother and Jesus. You see, Jesus, my friends, represents a more perfect brother. Though Jesus could have remained with his father, you are always with me. And while it's true he had been given the full inheritance, all that I have is yours. Jesus willingly left his home. He left his father in heaven. He went to a faraway country for one reason. To seek out prodigals. You and me. Knowing that nothing would bring his heavenly father more joy than when one of his children who was dead is made alive again. When that which was lost is found. Well, the story ends with the older brother angry, self-righteous, and alienated. All of which is revealed in his reaction to the grace his younger brother had received from their father. It's this prodigal whose life had been completely destroyed by sin, not only experiencing again the love of his father, not only being restored to his position as son, but in the end, Even the servants observed he was now safe and sound. This is actually one word in the Greek indicating he was made whole. Though my sins were as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Friend, if you identify this evening as a prodigal, today as a prodigal, if you identify with the younger son, rejecting your father's love, if you find that your life is a mess as a result of sin, or let's say, on the flip side, you identify with the self-righteous older brother, and you have been struggling with grace because you find the fact that it's been extended to the undeservables as being unjust and unfair, like whether it's carnal living or moralism alienating you from your father, I want you to know what Jesus is saying through this parable. Not only does your heavenly Father love you, not only is His grace sufficient to restore you, though you are unworthy, but His Son Jesus, 
your more perfect brother willingly came to this earth to save that which was lost. Jesus came to a faraway country for the specific purpose of bringing you, who's unworthy, home. When it's all said and done, this parable illustrates the reality that all of humanity is ultimately divided into one of two categories. And it's not believers and unbelievers. It's not Christians or non-Christians. It's not, it's not saints and sinners. The grand division of humanity is Jesus and prodigals. And why is this? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All but Jesus. You see, this is what the older brother failed to understand. Like, not only should this reality change the way that you see the lost world around you, how should you see the world? The only difference between you and the sinner is that you were once a prodigal, and they presently are. There's only two distinctions, classifications, Jesus and everyone else. But in seeing the lost world around you, the grace that you've received through Jesus should fill your heart with incredible love and compassion for the lost. I close with this thought. <laughs> you can always tell a person has been transformed by the grace of God. Like you know the person when the light bulb goes off and they totally get it. Here's how. They immediately begin to demonstrate grace to everyone else around them. That's how you know. So Father, Lord, we just... Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Zach Adams. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Zach's teaching ministry by visiting zachadams.org.